Welcome to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, last weekend we were given the opportunity to see the master teacher interact with two very distinct personality types which can, in a very broad way, divide the human family into two types. On the one hand, there are those who strive to live according to the virtues of meekness and humility, and on the other, the self-referential, who allow the primordial vice of pride to determine their approach to life. Over the course of our discussion, it became very obvious that the prideful refused to allow the divine teacher, Jesus Christ, to penetrate their hardness of heart. To this group of self-pleasers, the Canaanite woman of great faith served as a foil. In the Canaanite woman, we saw an imitation of Christ's humility, which allowed the light of truth to penetrate her heart, and through her shine upon those around her, to see that it is only by faith working through love that the human creature serves as an instrument of God's healing in the world. This weekend, the Lord turns to interrogate us, posing us a question whose impact knows no limit. The readings for this week have a traditional importance in terms of the life of the church. Many will focus upon the person of Peter and his confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God in today's Gospel, a confession which wins for Peter great praise from our Lord, who responds by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This exchange has become the locus classicus for defending the church's understanding of papal primacy. A large part of our discussion today will focus on this exchange with the aim of complexifying the discussion. I want to be clear that complexifying the discussion is not intended to deny the usual claims which get made with respect to this passage. Instead, I think the church at large, regardless of denomination, can benefit from just such an approach, perhaps providing the basis for a fruitful ecumenical dialogue when it comes to this subject. Said differently, I would like to introduce some nuance to the regular dialogue which surrounds this topic precisely by looking at the text itself, which has just as much to tell us about who we are as who Peter was and is. By way of beginning, however, we will first broaden our contextual scope in order to give us a clearer view of what is taking place in this important episode. It is interesting to note that in many ways, Matthew is here repeating the narrative pattern he had previously used in chapters 14 and 15. There, we see the feeding of the 5,000, followed by manifestations of Jesus' divinity as he walks upon the water and calms the storm, and then as he performs many healings. This is followed by an interaction with dissenters, Jesus teaching the disciples, and finally, the declaration of the Canaanite woman's faith. Similarly, the broader context for our passage today includes Jesus performing many healings, 
the feeding of the 4,000, an interaction with dissenters, Jesus teaching the disciples, and finally, Peter's confession of faith. If we compare the two narrative sets, we see that they contain nearly the same textual elements, the only difference being that the latter set does not include what I have called manifestations of Jesus' divinity. However, the reason that it has not here been listed as a separate item is not due to its absence, but rather its relocation. For in the latter set, the manifestation of Jesus' divinity is contained within the exchange between our Lord and Peter, as we shall see. Recognizing that the inspired author has created an interpretive pattern for us to follow, we will once again focus on the disparity between the exchange Jesus has with his dissenters and with those who humbly recognize Jesus for who he really is. For it is this disparity that enables us to see how God teaches the human family. Setting up this contrast brings two interrelated points to the fore. Once again, as in the previous textual cycle, it is the Pharisees and Sadducees who confront Jesus. Their aggressive attitude has something to teach us. Notice please that in both cases, these groups pose a question to Jesus. However, that they phrase their accusations in the form of a question is merely a thin rhetorical veil draped over their prideful and calloused hearts. Their intent is not to learn from the Master, but rather to set themselves over and against Him in a misguided attempt to make themselves, if not His superior, at least His equal, as the ensuing exchange makes clear. In contrast, recall the attitude of the Canaanite woman who humbly comes to Jesus with a genuine plea and patiently waits to receive the gift she knows he is able to give her. Though not readily apparent in the text itself, Peter approaches Jesus with the same attitude of the Canaanite woman in our Gospel for today. Peter is not typically remembered for his patience and humility. After all, Peter immediately left his fishing nets behind to heed the call of the shepherd and follow him wherever he may go. However, it is precisely Peter's patience and docility which enables him to receive the revelation of the Father today, that the one before him, the one whom he accompanied every single day, was the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has the words of eternal life, and who speaks these words to those who approach him in humility. What else does this contrast tell us if not that these words of eternal life, the truth, is not ours to grasp as fruit from a tree? but instead must be received as a gift in humility and meekness, just as the Canaanite woman had. Jesus exemplifies the virtues of meekness and humility as he teaches his disciples and us today. St. John Chrysostom highlights these virtues in his commentary on the episode, telling us that our Lord did not first ask the disciples their own opinion, but that of the people at large. John says, In order that when they had told the people's opinion, and then were asked, But who do you say that I am? By the manner of his inquiry, they might be led up to a sublime notion and not fall into the very same low view as the multitude. Thus, as we saw last week and in the encounter with a Canaanite woman, our Lord knows the intricate depths of the human hearts before him and in patient humility guides them in order to bestow upon them the gift of faith. This is the divine pedagogical method which has been at work throughout all of human history with the aim of expanding our hearts to receive the complete joy that is participation in the divine life. The ensuing conversation with Peter makes clear a fundamental spiritual lesson. As creatures created in God's image, the fulfillment of human life consists in relationship with our loving Creator. And it is therefore only in relationship with our Creator that we come to discover who we are as creatures. This is made clear by Jesus' response to Peter's confession. 
It is only after Peter's confession of Jesus as Christ, the Son of the living God, that he discovers who he has been created to be and the mission that his identity entails. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Once we get past the standard contested connotation of these words, we realize that neither sweeter nor more loving words could ever be spoken. For these words express the fulfillment of the human heart's desire. Just as he had to the prophets who lived in intimate relationship with him down through the centuries, today we witness our loving Creator say to Peter, I know exactly who you are. For even before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. It is my voice which first called you into existence, and which has called you from the stillness of every night since, desiring to share with you the great plans I have for you, plans to make you my instrument of hope and love to the world. And if there is any question that it is the very word of God calling Peter to such work, consider that his promise consists of giving what only God can. Jesus has promised to give Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven and to confer upon him the power to forgive sins. And what else is the power to forgive sins than the power to bring healing to the deep divisions hidden within the human heart, the divisions so frightfully apparent among the members of the human family, whose source is the division between the human family and its loving creator. It is at this point that I wish to complexify the discussion which typically surrounds this passage of sacred scripture based upon the interpretations of two great champions of the church, representing both East and West. One representing the East has already been introduced, St. John Chrysostom. The other, representing the West, is St. Augustine of Hippo. The two read this text in very similar ways. In Homily 45 on Matthew's Gospel, Chrysostom tells us that our Lord's words, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, suggests that our Lord intends to build his church upon the faith of Peter's confession. Augustine concurs in Sermon 295. However, in his 124th homily on the Gospel of John, Augustine comments on the passage once again and tells us that Christ himself is the rock upon which he will build his church. Lest some be dismayed at Augustine's interpretation of the text, or perhaps overjoyed, depending on our denominational proclivities, we ought to note that Augustine is interpreting the text in an intra-scriptural manner. Said differently, he is interpreting this passage in light of other scriptural passages which refer to Christ as a rock. For example, Christ is sometimes referred to as the cornerstone, as in Matthew 21 verse 42, where we hear that the very stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We find the same in Psalm 118, Acts chapter 4, and 1 Peter chapter 2. At other times, Christ is referred to as a stumbling block, as in 1 Peter 2, verse 8, and 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, where Paul writes, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Christ also suggests that he alone is the rock who can provide a firm foundation for the church at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he tells us that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. To be clear, all of this in no way denies Peter's primacy among the apostles, which is quite evident in Scripture. For example, Peter is constantly named first in lists of the disciples and continually functions as the spokesman of the group. 
What's more, to say that Christ is the rock upon whom the church is built first and foremost does not deny that Peter plays an analogous role in the church. Quite the contrary. The name Jesus gives Peter suggests this. Both the Latin Petrus and the Greek Cephas mean rock. What it does suggest is that Peter can only be rock in a participatory sense. In this, Peter finds his identity in the exact same way as all creatures created in God's image do. Our identities are the result of participatory imitation of the life of the Son of God, the Word through whom all things were created and are upheld in existence. What's more, as discussed elsewhere, Jesus' exchange with Peter today reveals that our identity comes with a unique mission. Consequently, the surest way of coming to know one's purpose in life begins with answering the question Jesus poses to us today. Who do you say that I am? This concept of human identity ultimately brings us back to the understanding of the church discussed several weeks ago. The church is not some not-for-profit organization. Rather, the church is a living organism, the body of Christ of which we are all members, functioning as living stones that make up God's dwelling place on earth. The household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, as St. Paul says in chapter 2 of his letter to the Ephesians. Consequently, just as we see in Genesis 1, that within the cosmos by the way God creates, there is harmonious order, inequality, and diversity, so too in the church there is a harmonious diversity, inequality among its members. Okay, so what does this finally all mean? Why was it so important that we have this discussion? The importance of our discussion is revealed by the promises Christ makes to Peter. In revealing his created purpose to Peter, Christ describes how Peter, in communion with the apostles and the entire people of God, has been entrusted to care for his body on earth and within time, the church, for a specific mission, to forgive sin. St. Augustine puts it this way in Sermon 229n, I make bold to say we too have these keys. And what am I to say? That it is only we who bind, only we who loose? No, you also bind, you also loose. Anybody who's bound, you see, is barred from your society. And when he's barred from your society, he's bound by you. And when he's reconciled, he's loosed by you, because you too plead with God for him. I want to be clear here as to what I am trying to say following Augustine. Do lay people have the ability to forgive sin? Absolutely. Sin is division. It is a falling short of the love God calls us to, and therefore, Anytime we are offended and we forgive those who offend us, we forgive sin with the love of God which lives in and through us. It is this love, and this love alone, which will one day heal the divided human family, a healing we are all called to participate in. That said, can lay people forgive sins committed against God and the body of Christ? No. This is left to those who share in Christ's sacramental priesthood as ordained ministers who acting in the person of Christ and with his authority, as we see in our passage today, bestow his forgiveness upon those who come to him in the sacrament of reconciliation in humble repentance. Taken together, this action of loving forgiveness is the function of the body of Christ, and it is this action that alone has the ability to heal divisions between the human family and God and amongst the human family itself. My friends, this message of forgiveness is the core of the gospel. The Son of God has become the Son of Man, 
in order to bring the human family into loving harmony with our God. As members of his body, the church, we are all tasked with the work of bringing the healing and salvific power of God's love to the world through a life which lives out the twofold love of God and neighbor by forgiving those who have sinned against us and most perfectly by loving even those who detest the very self-sacrificing lives we strive to live, our enemies, and praying for their conversion to the love of God. It is by living out this mission of love that we each discover our unique identities as creatures created in God's image. Look around. This is a work which no nation is capable of, though they promise it to us time and again. For this unity is not born under a flag, but from the love of God offered to the human family in the loving embrace of the body of Christ, the Church. As we look out into the world and see a broken and divided place, a place filled with those who are seemingly impenetrably hostile to those around them, the love of God within us enables us to look evil straight in its empty and lifeless eye and with every action of love declared to it, you are nothing. The pain which you inflict upon us will someday come to an end, for our King has come and is here to stay. It is Christ's love living in us that will soon destroy you and once again make us whole, make us one, loving and harmonious family, sharing his eternal happiness, just as he intended in the beginning. For the word who spoke first will also have the last word. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.